Well, it's been a while since we've been in the book of Galatians, but here, here we are again. And uh, just as sort of a recap, as many of you may know, you, you may not know, um, in the book of Galatians, the big question is for Paul, is Paul is experiencing opposition, is there are people who are coming into the Galatian church, and what they're telling the Galatians is that it's Jesus plus circumcision. Or is Jesus plus you must keep all the ceremonial laws. And these people who are called Judaizers, many of them Pharisees, they're coming in and they're saying, hey, listen, this guy Paul, he's not really even an apostle. He has no credit to his name. He doesn't line up with the other apostles. He doesn't line up with Peter, James, and John. He doesn't, he doesn't line up with those who are pillars in the church. And therefore, since he's not really an apostle, then his message is not really true. His message of justification by faith alone in Christ alone is not true. And so what Paul is doing is he's sort of laying the groundwork for why his apostleship is genuine. And basically he goes and he, he goes on to this sort of rant about how he didn't receive his commission from, Paul, from Peter. He didn't receive his commission from the other apostles, but he actually received his commission from Jesus Christ himself on the road to Damascus. As Christ struck him down in blindness and drew Paul to himself and saved him and says, I'm going to send you as an apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul says, basically, if that's not enough for you, then let me tell you all that it's cost me to be a follower of Christ. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, religious of all religious, and it's cost me everything to follow Jesus. And if that's not enough for you, then remember that when I went to Jerusalem, that Peter, James, and John, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. They basically approved my message and who I was. And now as we get to this particular point in the passage, Paul is saying, if this is not enough for you, let me tell you the real story. is actually I that called Peter back into line with the gospel. It was actually me that actually called Peter to get in step with who Jesus is and get back into line with who Christ is and what the message of the gospel is. You see, Galatia, Paul had a deep heart for the church in Galatia because on his missionary journeys, Paul had gone there. Many churches, many people had come to know Christ through his ministry there. And all these churches were planted. Now Paul wanted to see them grounded and rooted. And so just like in Antioch, Paul gives this example, says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And so what had happened is the church of Antioch was started because of the persecution that came against Stephen. When Stephen was stoned in the New Testament, persecution broke out against the church. The church, the Christians flooded out and they actually went as far as Antioch and they began to proclaim the gospel and it says that they mainly started with Jews, and as they began to proclaim the gospel to the Jews, some got really, really bold and said, you know what, we're going to tell some of these Hellenistic, some of these Greek-speaking people about the gospel. And said many became believers. And so what you have in Galatia is you have this mixed church as well, just like Antioch, of Gentiles and Jews. And so, just like in Antioch, there were people who came and basically said, it's Jesus plus you've got to live like a Jew. 
And Paul says the same thing that happened in Antioch is what's trying to take place here in Galatia. And so Paul is once again fighting these Judaizers just as he did in Antioch, just as him and Barnabas did there in Galatia. He's saying, listen, we fought this battle before Galatians. Hear me out and I will tell you what really happened between Peter and myself. Because many of these people were coming in and saying, hey, listen, Paul doesn't line up with what Peter says. Him and Peter had this big disagreement and Peter was sort of the winner of the argument. And Paul says, I'm going to set the record straight. You know, sometimes in the church, we're sort of afraid of opposition, right? We're afraid of conflict. But there are conflicts that are godly confrontations. There are times in which we should call one another out. There are times that we should experience opposition, even within the church, when we're at a line and at a step with who Christ is. So Paul says, let me tell you what really happened. And basically, Paul tells us, for before certain men came from James, Peter was okay with eating with the Gentiles. But when these Judaizers or these Pharisees came, he drew back because he was afraid of them. So Paul says the reason for this confrontation was that Peter, before these religious Judaizers came from James, and they throw James in there, not necessarily that they had James' approval, but they came from Jerusalem. And it says before they came that Peter engaged with the Gentiles. Remember, the Gentiles were considered unclean by the Jews. They were considered sort of second-rate citizens, a lot like African Americans were in our own country. And so Paul says, look, before these Judaizers came, Peter was okay with sitting down and eating dinner with these Gentiles. And to eat dinner with someone was to go to another level relationally, just like it is in our culture, right? To have someone into your home is to go to a deeper relationship. And Paul says, but when these religious fellows showed up, Peter disassociated with the Gentiles. He showed some biasness. And Paul's issue with this is not only is it just wrong, right? But it's out of step with the gospel. It's out of step with who Christ is. And the reason this was really, really important for for Paul to call Peter out, right? Is that leadership works. People in leadership, it doesn't matter good or bad, leadership works. And Peter was influencing people. Peter was an influencer. He was a leader in the church. And it says that his influence was so great that he not only led a bunch of the other Jews down this road of hypocrisy, but actually Barnabas himself, who Barnabas was a man of character and outstanding understanding of the gospel. But Peter's influence was so great that he actually led Barnabas astray in diverting from the gospel. And so Paul knows, I have no choice 
I can't beat around the bush here. There, there has to be a public confrontation between Peter and I. And Paul tells us because he's clearly condemned. He's, he's clearly in the wrong here. In verse 14, it says this, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter before them all, so this is a public confrontation. If you are a Jew and live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? You see, Peter, he hadn't changed his view on justification. That's not what happened here. What happened is that these religious Pharisees came in and we always think of Pharisees as something really negative, but let me tell you how the Pharisees were started. During the Old Testament and the New Testament, the temple was destroyed when God's people went into captivity in Babylon. And so the temple was no longer there. And so these Pharisees were sort of like these zealots and they had a zeal for God's Word. And so they wanted the next generation and generations to come and their children and their children's children to understand the Old Testament. They wanted them to know who God was. So if they were here today, they're like the Sunday school teachers. They're, they're the people who want to make sure that we don't forget who God is, what His Word is. We want to make sure the next generation gets God's Word. And so when the temple was no longer, it was destroyed, they are the ones that started the synagogue system. So that you had these synagogues in neighborhoods so that families and people could go there and hear and know God's Word. These were sharp guys. These were guys who knew God's Word backwards and forwards. These are people who maybe even had connections with some of the prophets of the Old Testament. Their family lineage went way, way back, right? And Peter's a Jew, right? These, these are the people that sort of grew up trying to teach me the Old Testament. So fear of their approval, that's what gets Peter. That's the reason Paul tells him, hey, this is hypocrisy. Peter, you need, you need to take off your mask and you need to let them see what you really believe because this is not what you believe. You're, you're not in step with what you believe about Christ and about His justification. So Peter hadn't changed his stance on how someone gets saved. It tells us right there in the passage that he, he drew back because he was afraid, right? Isn't that what happens to us? Isn't that what happens to us in our, in our hypocrisy? It's not, it's not that I've changed my view on Jesus. Right? It wasn't when Peter, when he came into the courtyard that night and that little girl said, aren't you one of his disciples? Peter just didn't stop believing in Jesus right then. He was afraid. Fear of what people thought. Fear of what people were going to say. Fear of what people might do drove him to practically deny the truth, the principles of the gospel that he so emphatically declared. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we all have done? even the preacher. There are so many truths. There are so many principles. The Gospel itself. There are so many ways on a daily basis that I practically deny what I emphatically declare and believe. Why? Because of fear. Because of fear of what people might say. Because of pride of what people might think.
So I encourage you to think about that before you're too hard on Peter. Think about how in your own life you deny the gospel. President Reagan said this in Shanghai, China, we believe, and we believe it so deeply that Americans know these words by heart. We believe that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. That among those are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. He said, ask any American student, any teacher you want to, they can quote those words to you. President Obama, in his second inaugural address, said this, what makes us exceptional, what makes us American is our allegiance to this idea articulated in the Declaration of Independence 200 years ago. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. And this is what he said, and today we continue the never-ending journey to bridge the meaning of those words with the realities of our time. Then Martin Luther King Jr. said this, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And so what Paul is saying, hey listen, there's nothing wrong with the gospel. Right? Peter's not living up to what he says he believes. Our country at times has not lived up to the creed that we believe. But we shouldn't throw out the creed. You don't throw out the Declaration of Independence. You, you repent and you live up to it. You don't throw out the Gospel. You get in line with the Gospel. That's what these guys are saying. That's what Paul is saying to Peter. Hey Peter, you need to come into line with who Christ is. You are out of step. You are out of accord. You see, during slavery or segregation or Jim Crow or abortion or even some of the anarchy that we see with burning cities, you know all that is out of line with the Gospel. Like That's a Gospel issue before it's any other kind of issue. That's a not being in line with who God is issue before it is any other issue. So before it was Peter showing favoritism, Peter had already gotten out of line with who God was. That word there, but when I saw they were not in conduct or were not in step with the truth of the gospel, it's a Greek word, orthopadio. And basically, it means to walk in a straight course. If you're thinking about a broke arm, it's when the bone becomes out of place from the rest of the bone. Orthopedic, orthodontist, to straighten. So Paul is, in a very kind way, calling Peter back into line with the Gospel. Did you know that's kind to do that? I'm sure it wasn't very comfortable for Paul to call Peter out, right? Peter's a very well-known leader in the church. For him to get called out on the red carpet in front of everybody and say, Peter, you're clearly in error. That wouldn't be very comfortable, but it was very loving. In fact, that's probably one of the most loving things that we can do for one another as a church is to make sure that we're all calling one another to live in line with the Gospel. Even if it means conflict. Even if it means confrontation. 
even if it means you raise your voice a little. But I want you to know that Paul loved Peter, desired and knew that Peter was living in hypocrisy. He knew that Peter hadn't changed what he believed. He just knew that he had gotten out of step with it. What a difficult place for Paul. And then we sort of think of Paul like he's some iron man. Think about that. You're having to come against Peter, all these other Jewish people, and your friend Barnabas. Right? And you have to have the guts to stand up and say, no, you guys are all wrong. You're all in error. Now fall back into line with the truth of God's Word. How did Paul find that courage? Where did Paul find such boldness? Listen at verses 15 through 16. Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see where Paul, you see where he got his courage? He knew who he was in Christ. He, he knew what Christ had done for him. He, he knew that he was in right standing with Jesus. He knew that he was in right standing with God. He knew that the grace of God had changed him. He knew that Jesus and Jesus' approval only is all that he needed. You know, Christians, when we fail to live in line with the gospel, most of the time it's because we're not believing who we really are. It's because I'm not really seeing myself one with Christ. I'm not really seeing myself united to God in harmony with the Creator of the world. Paul says, Peter, we are the Jews. We're the ones that have the law. We're not like these pagans. We're not like Gentiles that didn't grow up with the Scriptures. We've had the Ten Commandments. We've had the ceremonial law. We've had the civil law. We know the prophets. We've had the temple. We've had the sacrificial system. Peter, if anybody should know that you can't be justified before God by the law, it ought to be us. Right? Because we've had it for thousands and thousands of years and we all break it every day. You, you sort of see what Paul's doing there? You see, the sacrificial system that God gave the Jews was to remind them every year that they need Christ. It was never meant to make them right with God. It was just a reminder every year that they need Christ. Just like Dwayne said about confession. What confession does for us as a church is it reminds us every Sunday that we need Christ. It reminds us every Sunday we can't keep the law. We can't keep the moral law. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. 
We can't keep the civil law as far as loving our neighbor as ourself. And it's a reminder every Sunday to throw yourself upon Christ. To put your hope and confidence in Christ. You see, that's what the rich young ruler, he didn't get. He had a very narrow view of obedience. He thought it was just the, the Ten Commandments. He forgot to read the Beatitudes. He forgot that it was about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself, and then you, you can get in. See, Romans 1.17 says, there's a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And Paul's like, Peter, if, if anybody knows you can't be made right through the law, it's us Jews. We know that. So as we go on down in verses 17 through 21, Paul wants to counter his critics as they attempt to overthrow his justification by faith alone. Listen to what it says. It says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? And the word says, certainly not, but it actually, it's actually more like God forbid. So what these Judaizers were saying is that, hey Paul, look, this justification by faith alone... It looks like to me that's an easy way to get away with disobedience. It looks like an easy way to tell people and teach people you don't have to obey the law. And Paul says in verse 18, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Hey, this is not a problem with God. This is a problem with me as a sinner. If Christ redeems me, if Christ purchases me, if Christ justifies me and makes me right with Him, and right, that's a one-time act. Like, it's a done deal. Once you are justified before God on the basis of Christ, you are complete. Do you know that? Do you realize that? Do you, do you realize that once Christ has covered you in His righteousness, that there is no way that you can go to hell. There's no way that you can be out of relationship with God. No matter what you do, once you are justified, once you Christ has paid for your sin, and they're saying, Paul, that's dangerous. That's dangerous to teach that I'm accepted based on what Christ has done, based upon Christ's righteous record. And Paul says, basically, justification is not just a change in status, but it's a change in character. It's a change in nature. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So not only does Christ justify us by His righteousness, but we are born anew. Like we're a new creation. We, we no longer want 
to walk down the path of sin or walk down the path of disobedience. We have a new heart, a new desire, a new nature. So Paul says, no, you're mishearing me. Yes, it is a change in status. And yes, that status is secure in Christ. But along with that status comes a new nature. New desires, new passions. See, being united with Christ means that Christ died on your behalf. Christ's death was your death. Christ's righteousness now is your righteousness. It's the judge saying, you're innocent. Though you know you're not innocent, you're innocent. Listen to what Paul says here. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, and Christ died for no reason. If there is any other way to get to heaven, if there's Jesus plus works, Jesus plus coming to church, Jesus plus sharing your faith, then Jesus died for no reason. In fact, this says, I actually nullify grace. I nullify what Christ has done for me if I try to add to that work. So Paul comes back to these Judaizers and he's basically trying to help them see there's no way it can be grace and works. It either has to be salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Or either there has to be perfection with the law. And not just the commands, but your intentions, your motives, your thoughts, you see, God, even through the Old Testament, is continually trying to put things in place so that His people, so that all people understand we can't get it done. See, the sacrificial system was put in place to help the Jews understand, look, man, there's no way to be righteous except by doing what Abraham did, by believing God, by believing Christ, by putting your hope in Christ alone. So church, what else do you hope in? What, what is it that you put confidence in? Besides Christ? Do you put confidence in your Bible reading or Bible study? Do you, do you put confidence in how well you know the Scriptures? Do you, put, do you put confidence in how well you're keeping the commandments? Do you put confidence in how kind you've been to your children this week? If you've broken one law, you've broken them all. 
But there's good news. Though we've all broken them all, those that are in Christ are fully accepted. Heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Who, who, who loves you like that? Who, who would do that for you? Paul says that's the motivation. It's the love of Christ that compels me to live a life of obedience. It's what Christ has done for me on the cross that compels me to live a life of obedience. Galatians, please don't give this up. Don't give this up for the religion of man. Don't give this up for try harder. The way that you know that the Scriptures are otherworldly is there's no other religion that would teach. There's nothing man would never teach that salvation is by grace alone in Christ alone. Man would never teach we cannot get it done. Man would never teach there's no way you can keep the commandments. Would never teach that. Even now, right? As people, it's hard for us to believe that salvation is by grace. That God actually came when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, when we were just as big a lawbreakers as Cain who killed Abel, and He sets His love upon us, and He draws us to Himself on the basis of what Christ has done on our behalf. Know this, church. All the issues in our city are gospel issues. We live in a city of 50-50, pretty much black and white. Only the good news of Christ can ever bring that together the way it will be in heaven.